Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make a little money. My job's not just to entertain, but educate, and teach you. So call me 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me to Kramer. Sometimes we get a piece of research that I like so much that I got to share it with you on air. Today, with the market wavering, Dow dipping 63 points, S&P shedding 0.2%, NASDAQ losing 0.59%, I found a strategy report from Bank of America's Savita Supermanian titled, U.S. Equity Strategy Year Ahead, Five Reasons for S&P 500 at 5,000. And I got to tell you, I like this piece very much. At this time of year, you begin to get a lot of reflective pieces, musing about what could happen next year. When I saw a piece coming out with a 5,000 uh, price target for the S&P 500, up nearly 500 points from here. It caught my attention because almost no one seems willing to be publicly bullish at the moment. Now, some of that's simply because it's so easy to be negative. I know from firsthand experience that if you're bearish and you get it wrong, nobody blames you. Really, ever since the dot-com collapsed uh, more than 20 years ago, it's never paid to stick your neck out and recommend stocks. I keep doing it anyway because maybe I'm a glutton for punishment. But make no mistake, the bulls are punished. You'll be ridiculed as a hopeless pumpkin. And beyond public scrutiny, it's much easier to lose your job on Wall Street actually by being too positive. If you're bullish on something and implodes, that can be a fireable offense. In the end, being cautious and wrong is a lot safer than being bullish and wrong. Right now, in particular, you seem like a rube for liking stocks. I mean, don't you know that there are two war zones? Don't you know that just the interest on the national debt will shackle your grandchildren and make you want to live in New Zealand or at least Singapore? Our president just turned 81. That birthday cake looked like it was firebombed. And the guy who's likely running against him might have to conduct his campaign from a courtroom or worse. Doesn't exactly make for an optimistic backdrop, does it? All of which is to say that this bullish piece from Bank of America showed some gumption. Something that's in short supply in the research community and non-existent among media commentators, at least for stocks outside the Magnificent Seven, including NVIDIA, which reported tonight and gave you its fantastic outlook, but it's gone up so much that there's always people who want to find things wrong. Supermedian's thesis is that we have a stock picker's paradise coming. I like that because it says we might get away from the gangster's paradise of the 10-year tyranny. Remember, for most of this year, we cared about long rates, the rates set by the bond market, and how they relate to short rates, the ones set by the Federal Reserve. 
While long rates kept going higher as the Fed increased the short rates, we had a market where virtually all stocks seemed to trade together. Every stock was just a member of an orchestrated conducted orchestra conducted by, indeed, yes, the long end of the bond market. Once it ended with long rates peaking just a few weeks ago, we caught a fantastic upward wave in the market with some truly breathtaking moves in individual stocks. Hence what Supermanian is saying about a stock picker's market. House of pleasure. Just think about the last few weeks in retail. We've seen tremendous rallies at Home Depot, Target, Macy's, and today Burlington. Uh, largely because they were underestimated and the actual numbers weren't horrible. You had to get three things right to successfully pick these stocks. First, you needed to know the zeitgeist, what Wall Street was looking for from these stores. Second, you needed some reason to believe the true results would be better than the estimates. And third, and maybe most important, you had to figure out what Wall Street would pay for that differential. You had to get a lot of things right, but if you got it right, you made Boku dinero. Next few metaphors there. The piece is arguing uh, the last few weeks could be the new normal. Then Supermanian gives us the five salient points about why the S&P 500 could go to 5,000. What I'd like to do is walk you through them because the piece articulated them so well, I want to give it its due. First, she talks about how there are too many skunks at the garden party. It's an odd way of saying that there are a lot of bears who don't seem to have much conviction, meaning they're negative, but maybe they want to morph into bulls if they get a chance. That's always what happens at the end of a big decline. Second, she says we have a Goldilocks economy, not too hot, not too cold. So kind of ideal. She expects wages, wage gains to offset, uh, be offset by bigger productivity and higher margins. I'm not really buying this one, though. I think what's happening is that we don't have much inflation and we might have less in the future. And that will cause the Fed to not raise rates. Now, unlike Supermanian, I think the maximum amount of money will be made between when the Fed stops hiking and when, if ever, in 2024, it actually starts cutting rates. I don't see Goldilocks. I just see OK growth with declining inflation. But you know what? That is good enough to get us to 5000 Third, she believes that corporate profits can accelerate even if GDP growth slows. Now, I think that's partially true because so much of the S&P 500 these days is not related to the broader economy. But even if she's right, I think you'll have to avoid the industrials and many of the more cyclical tech stocks if she's right. Fact of life, not everything goes up at once. I disagree with that on that one, too. Fourth, she likes what happens in election year, including bipartisan defense spending and also fiscal austerity that could hurt health care. Sorry, I'm not buying this one either, at least not this time. There's no consensus on anything out of Washington, not even defense. There's nothing but partisan rancor and a total inability to get things done. But as we know, nothing getting done from Washington is actually good news for the stock market, which loves gridlock. Nevertheless, I'm not counting on anything good from Washington this election year, or at least nothing good for the stock market. When you have a president who walks the picket line against Ford, bolstering the UAW's Sean Fain, the most radical union leader since Walter Ruther died in a suspicious plane crash, that doesn't make for higher stock prices. The Democrats are the party of labor, not capital, which means they don't care as much about the stock market. Meanwhile, the Republicans are out of power. And when you're out of power, you, you don't lift a finger to make life easier for the incumbent. So I don't see either party doing much to bolster stocks. Finally, there's this fifth pillar. It's a catch-all topic of U.S. advantages, including decobalization, energy security, the dollar's reserve currency, and wealth transfer from my fellow boomers to our kids, $80 billion or $80 trillion. $80 trillion. Now, look, none of that is wrong, especially the $80 trillion that i got to give to my kids. Well, not me, $80 trillion. I had, I'm not one of those guys. I'm not a Magnificent Seven guy. But uh, I don't think these have a lot of octane. So I can pull this research apart and find fault, as I just did. Or, you know what? I can just say most people are pretty convinced that nothing good can happen from here, unless we're talking about the Magnificent Seven. 
I think next year might be about the other 493 stocks besides the seven, especially if the SEC stops being so aggressive about blocking mergers, because mergers would be the lifeblood of the next bull market. The bottom line, let me close out by saying that, broadly speaking, I actually previously viewed a Romanian at Bank of America that we could go to 5,000 the S&P. But other than sentiment being way too negative, I'm noncommittal about what could get us there, at least for now. Let's go to Steve in California. Steve. Jim, how are you? I am you know, good, I Steve. I you this morning, and you looked so happy, and you sounded so happy because of the Eagles' win last night. But you anyway. know, Steve, I, you know, sometimes I wish you shouldn't let something that you can't control make you so happy. You really shouldn't. <laughs> but they make me very happy, and they made my father very happy, and I guess that's just what happens in America. Well, how can I help? It came across. It came across. Thank this you. morning. So anyway, my question, Jim, is about AI technology, obviously a, a very topical subject these days. Right. So, you know, you got me in NVIDIA uh, back oh, a couple years ago. <laughs> We've um, liked it for a long time. Well, we have. And I know that. And, and you got me in it along with my due diligence. But um, that's historical. OK, it's had a great run. We know about open AI. Open AI basically right now has a market cap of around 86 billion who is the next player on the horizon for another home run like this do you have okay. any ideas uh you know look I th- I, it is something i think about constantly who is going to be the next player and i have to tell you uh, all i can do is come up with a betters like a like a cadence uh like an arm i don't have the next nvidia but i would also tell you one thing that I do, Steve, that, that other people criticize, but I say, who needs another NVIDIA when we have an NVIDIA? Wayne in California, Wayne. Booyah, Jim. Holy cow, Wayne, how you been? Hey, Jim, I have to say this. Jim, I love watching you, loving what you do. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank it's you. Thank you very much. That. Yeah, I'm kind of fired left. up. I mean, the, vac- the only thing is the vacations really rankle me. <laughs> Just putting wife. it out there. My wife doesn't watch. She doesn't have to worry about that. I mean, but really, what do you do? You sit around. What do you play Wordle? I mean, Joe, thank heavens for some football games, right? I mean, other than that, I mean, what is a, what's the point? I mean, it's like, you know, if they paid you for vacation, that'd be dead. I mean, no, I mean, like paid you double, like overtime for vacation, because that's what it's, it's like overtime. Go ahead. You, you don't have to work and you just you're, you're just you love doing so much of what you do. And that's inspirational. Thank you so much. But the bosses, uh, if they were watching, I don't. I need every penny. I'm desperate. Okay, now we're good. Now we're good. How do you get that in there? You know? Jim, thirty one dollar average cost. I have close to 16,000 shares. What would you do with Uber? Oh, Uber is a there. I think I've made myself clear. Hey, well, you know what? Let's stick with let's go to Texas. Just kidding. Let's go to Austin in Pennsylvania. Austin. Big booyah, chill man. How about our birds last night? The birds look so good. You know, I'm just going back and forth with, with my bread, friend, buddy, pal, Howie Roseman. What a team he's put together. Hertz is just so, look, I can't say enough. I am unfortunately on a business show, though, so we got to do some work. <laughs> so I'm having a bit of FOMO on this recent IPO. I'm looking at ARM Holdings with a P around 115 and NVIDIA's P is around 120. 
I want in on ARM, but I'm worried this price is a bit too high right now. I'm it worried. is a little too high. Now, we did nail this when we said if it went below 50, you got to buy it. I think that Renee Haas is doing an amazing job. I am not going to say you'll be wrong if you buy it here. I am saying that if, you know, next year at this time, we may not even know the difference. I think it's going to be higher. I think that they are a super company, and you've got a winner. All right, broadly speaking, I agree that we could go to 5,000 USB. But other than sentiment being way too negative, I'm a little noncommittal about what gets us there. Oh, man, tonight, HP reported after the bell. So what can investors glean from the report when it comes to the state of PCs and printing? I've got the exclusive with the CEO. Then could your investment in Tyson leave investors with egg on their face <laughs> or rule the roost? I'm taking a deep dive into the story and give you my take. And looking to play in the trucking sector, I'm going to see if this outfit Schneider, you've seen their trucks on the road, could be the way to invest in the cohort with the company's top brass. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Cramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Cramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. As a long suffering personal computer market finally started to make a comeback. Today, HP reported what felt like a bit of a mixed quarter to me. PC and printer Kingpin delivered a slight revenue miss with inline margins and inline earnings. Management also reaffirmed its full-year forecast for 2024, but when it rolled out earnings guidance for the current quarter, some could say it looked a bit light. What do we make of these results? Let's take a closer look at Enrique Lourdes. He's the president and CEO of HP Inc. To learn more, Mr. Lourdes, welcome back to Mad Money. 
Jim, thank you for having us here. Okay, so Enrique, maybe, it's great to see you. I'm, maybe I'm just an optimist, but I feel something different. I feel that we have now gotten to the point where those PCs we bought a couple of years ago, they're looking old, they're looking beat up, and they're not exciting because you've got some new things that you think might attract my attention. Win me over. So we, we really think that the PC market has started to recover. The second half was stronger than the first half, and we had expected the market to grow in 24 compared to 23. And there are big drivers for that, many of them driven really by the innovation we are going to be bringing. First of all, we think there is going to be an acceleration of the renewal of PCs as the transition from Windows 10 to Windows 11 will happen. We think there is going to be a continued increase of average selling price, again, driven by innovation, by the need for customers to use PCs to communicate. And finally, because of the introduction of AI PCs, that will be happening at the end of the year. And this will drive significant momentum in the category, some in 24, more in 25, more in 26. And as we have said before, we think this is going to double the growth of the PC category starting next year. Okay, so artificial intelligence is sometimes the eye of the beholder. I like my PC. I think it does everything for me that it could. Tell me what are the things it might be able to do that I would only dream that it could do. I think many of the things that you do now accessing the cloud, we are going to enable them to be done in the PC. For example, you want to combine your private data, the analysis you have done with a complex large language model, you will be able to do it locally without having to go to the cloud. And you will be able to ask your PC, please provide me the analysis of this PNL of this company that I don't know if I should invest or not. The PC will run the analysis for you, will provide a report for you, and then you will decide what you want to do or not. It's going to be a very exciting time, James. Okay, so my, my thing would be that must cost double or triple the current PC. Tell me why that won't cost a fortune. So it will not be significantly more expensive than what you will have. Our estimate is that the overall, overall average selling price will grow between 5 and 10%. And again, the price will not be comparable with the additional value you will be getting because we are going to really enter in a new area of what PCs or computers are going to be able to do for you. Well, now that I know that, I think it definitely will be worth the upgrade. Now, one of the things I'm very confused about, and maybe because I, old habits die hard, I print the hell out of things. I have a printer at home. I print everything. But yeah, when I read your conference call and your different notes, it's very clear at your analyst meeting that I seem to be in the minority. Every year, people seem to print a little less. How is that possible? Well, in the print category, there are different segments. There are some segments where we see decline year on year, for example, printing at home. There are segments where we see a stable market printing in the office. And there are segments where we see significant growth, which is industrial printing. Printing labels, packaging, all this segment is really growing. And the combination of these things make us believe that the print market is going to be stable in the coming years. Now, what I was very intrigued by the idea for the print at home, the subscription business. that I, You introduced it on the show. It made so much sense to me, but if, if printing's declining at home, the subscription business can't be all that good. Well, the subscription business is a great business. We have now more than 13 million subscribers that every month pay us to print, and we are expanding the category. We started with Think. We have now enabled all type of uh, cartridges, and recently we introduced also paper as a subscription, we need, just in a few quarters, 
we reach more than half a million subscribers that are paying us to get paper. And in the coming months, we will be including the full printer in the subscription. So it's a great business for us, and it's great for our customers because they really get much more value in terms of usability and reducing friction in terms of having their printers working. Okay, well, there we have what's basically a service platform. Now, can I extend it and basically get um, help from HP if I need it? It's not only about getting help from HP. We are going to be expanding the platform to bring additional digital services. But our vision is to be able to offer our full portfolio as a subscription. And during 24, we will be testing different concepts, including PCs, including other type of peripherals, because within subscription, because of the removal of friction they bring, is the way to go. And many of our customers really want to buy our products as a subscription. And uh, just if you can, uh, I always do need to know where you think you stand versus the competition. What will you be offering that will distinguish you from a crowd that you often mention the other companies that some people think they're the same? I don't think they're the same. I don't think we are the same. I think we are ahead in many fronts. Subscription is one of them. There is no other competitor that has the breadth of subscription programs that we offer and that has the install base that we do have today. We are also very differentiated in hybrid solutions. With some of the acquisitions we have made, we offer now the broadest portfolio of solutions to enable people to work from home, work from the office, or to really communicate both in an effective way. That's a big, big differentiator for us that will continue to be in the future. And finally, another big differentiator for us is security. We offer the most secure printers and PCs in the planet. And as you know, this is becoming every day more important. Absolutely. Well, Enrique, again, I mean, you've delivered consistently in a very difficult environment. And if we do get a pickup in PCs, you will be a coiled spring. And we do know it's going to happen. That's Enrique Lourdes, President and CEO of HP Inc. Enrique, I love having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Great to be here and happy Good. Thanksgiving. Oh, same to you. Man, money's back after the break. Coming up, is the sky falling on Tyson Foods? Kramer checks in to see if the stock still has any pluck. Next. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. out of favor company reports disappointing numbers and stock actually rallies in response well that tells you we might be looking at a genuine bottom take tyson foods the largest publicly traded meat play lots of beef and chicken with some pork and even a little turkey exposure as part of its prepared foods business which i'm only mentioning because of course it is thanksgiving here's a stock that's been uh, an unmitigated disaster. After being $100 and change nearly two years ago, since then, Tyson's lost more than half of its value. In December of last year, we tried to figure out why it was doing so badly at a time when it should have been printing money thanks to food inflation. My answer, it's an inconsistent operator with unreliable management. Back then, the then 32-year-old CFO had just been arrested 
for drunkenly breaking into some random house after getting way too inebriated at a University of Arkansas football game. By the way, still the job. Maybe if your company's based in Razorback land, you get a free pass, especially if your last name is, well, uh, Tyson. Since then, Tyson's dropped the ball at almost every turn, not unlike the Razorbacks of late. And the stocks continue to grind its way lower all year. But you know what? Enough cynicism. I haven't given up on the idea of Tyson because if they could just get their house in order, there's a lot to like about this story. It just never seems safe to recommend the stock. That is until now, or at least until Monday of last week, when Tyson Foods reported another disappointing mixed quarter. And after getting digged on Monday, the stock spent the rest of the week roaring higher. See, that kind of action, that kind of action tells you that maybe just maybe the negativity is already finally baked <laughs> into the share price and we can finally start focusing on the potential positives. And there are actually some positives here. But first, you need to know what went wrong with the numbers. Tyson reported his fourth straight revenue miss with the sales down 2.8% year over year when Wall Street was looking for a flat number. They experienced broad-based weakness across pork chicken, prepared foods, and international. Only the beef business did better than expected, with pricing at more than 10% year beer. Now, beef's their largest business, but chicken's their second largest, and those prices were down more than 9%. Pork prices were down nearly 7%, while pricing for the company's prepared food segment were also down low to mid-single digits. That's disappointing. Hey, that said, though, while the top line was certainly ugly, the bottom line was surprisingly good. Tyson posted his first earnings beat in five quarters, even as their earnings were down 77% year-over-year. But the this game is all relevant. What matters is how they did versus expectations, and Tyson made 37 cents per share, and it's worth looking for 29. Management emphasized that the company, and I'm going to quote, is focused on what it can control, end quote. And right now, Tyson's top priority is making the business more efficient. They closed a bunch of older plants, especially in troubled chicken business, and are moving production to newer, more efficient facilities. You might think that doesn't sound too, uh, too bad, but Tyson also rolled out its full year forecast for 2024 fiscal years, and those numbers were just plain ugly. <laughs> Magnus said their sales should be relatively flat year over year when Wall Street wanted to see 3% growth. They talked about $1 to $1.5 billion in operating income. The analysts were expecting $1.55 billion. In terms of individual segments, Tyson predicting good numbers from its prepared foods division, along with big recovery in the chicken business and a small recovery in international. But they see the beef unit breaking even at best. Beef is the one part of the business that's been working. So if they lose that, problem. But you know what? I'm actually not that worried about the guidance. Tyson Foods has consistently missed numbers for over a year now. After that kind of experience, management is naturally going to get more cautious with their forecasts because it's the only way they can go back to beating expectations. On the conference call, they hinted that they were trying to lowball us, talking about doing a better job of managing expectations. Last note on the guidance. Management said that profitability for the 2024 fiscal year would be weighted to the back half, meaning April to September. Tyson's worried about rising cattle costs, hurting them in the current quarter and the next quarter. Hey, put it all together. There really wasn't much to like here, which is why the stock initially tumbled more than 3% in response. That's totally rational action. Overnight, the analyst reactions came out, and they were mostly negative, too, with several firms cutting their price targets. Again, that's totally reasonable. But then, after dipping a bit more last Tuesday morning, Tyson's stock reversed only finishing the day up a glorious 4.65%, then rallying a bit more every day from Wednesday through Friday for pulling back a teensy-weensy bit over the last couple of days. Why? Uh, let me give you an analogy, okay? It's like the climax of 8 Mile, the rap battle where Eminem starts insulting himself instead of the other guy, just tearing himself to pieces. Then the other guy blanks out once it's his turn because what else can he say that Eminem didn't say already? 
And that's what happened here, because Tyson spelled out all the bad news. There was nothing else for the bears to say. No reason to get more negative after that initial decline. If you weren't, listen, if you were going to sell in response to the quarter, you did it on Monday. And then there was nobody left to sell other than the people who are no smarter than the chickens and the pigs and the cows that Tyson slaughters every day. Plus, it doesn't hurt that the stock's got a 4.1% dividend yield. I think it's safe. Something that feels more enticing now that the long-term interest rates have pulled back dramatically from their highs. you got a good dividend yield. It looks like you got uh, a bottom in the estimates. So far, so good. Still, if that's all there was to it, though, I wouldn't even think about recommending Tyson Foods. Right now, the stock's saying that it's done going down. That doesn't mean it's going to rebound, or at least enough to make it worth owning. We need something. We need a catalyst. Something that can change the whole narrative. Ideally, one that nobody's talking about except for you, man. You know what? I think there's a great unexplored angle to the story that no one's talking about. I don't even know if the company's talking about it, frankly. Everybody's been terrified of the damage that these new GLP-1 weight loss drugs will do to the food companies because they take your craving away. Generally speaking, I think they're right to be afraid, but not all food companies are created equal. See, these drugs cause you to lose a massive percentage of your body weight, but that's not body fat. That's everything, including muscle. That's why when you get a prescription, your doctor will tell you, you must eat more protein so your muscles don't atrophy. So if you expect these GLP-1 drugs to have a huge impact on the food industry, if not the life of the country, well, they're bad news for most. But they're actually the best news in the world for pure play on protein like Tyson. And that's not in the numbers at all. Here's the bottom line. I've been negative on Tyson for a long time, and rightly so. But last week, after the stock ended up rallying in response to some disappointing guides, I suddenly feel good about this one for the first time in ages. I think the bad news is baked in at this point, and the company might finally be able to start regularly beating the estimates again now that the expectations are so low. Plus, Tyson should get a boost from the GLP-1 drugs. What a kicker. And that is why the stock may actually be a buy-buy-buy right here. How about Brian in Oregon? Brian! Thanksgiving to you and the entire Mad Money team. Go get... Oh, that's great. Thank you. Well done. Well done. How can I help? Hey, so I understand the GLP thesis pretty well, and it allowed me to get a double on Eli Lilly. Thanks for that. But do you think all this weight loss stuff is hurting or going to hurt one of my other holdings that's been sideways all year? I'm talking about Domino's. Okay, Domino's is great. First, thank you for those kind comments of what we're doing. Now, here's the problem with Domino's. I think that it won't be hurt anytime soon by the GOPs, but it is a competitive market. And I think that I happen to like the stock, but there are a bunch of bears on Wall Street and we need to convince them to get bullish. I think they will, but it might take a couple of quarters because the stock should be going up now after they did that delivery agreement. It hasn't happened yet. Give it one more quarter and then I think we're good to go. How about Doug in the volunteer state of Tennessee? Doug. Good afternoon, Mr. Kramer. Doug, how are you? Music City, USA. Man, I got to tell you, Nashville is, we want to do the show from Nashville so much because Nashville is a successful city. What's up? Uh, I got a two-pronged question. Uh, bought a few shares of Darling Ingredients, symbol DAR, a great name for this business. And uh, the stock is currently down about over 30%. I was wondering if it's advisable to buy some more shares to lower my cost basis. And is the stock price tied into the price of oil? It is. But you know what? We're starting to see some uh, some green shoots to the numbers that were reported recently. And 
There's sizable insider buying. I say yes to buy more darling. Okay, now we're going to Arden in Florida. Arden. Hi, Jim. Uh, booyah to you. Long-time listener. And All I'm right. wondering what's going on with Elf. And the reason I'm asking that, we just seem to have a 10-stock a market going on right now. The rest is being ignored. When are we going to see a change in a full market? Okay, now remember, ELF is up 102% for the year. So it's one that put it that in decidedly in the winner's category. It has attracted some short sellers who genuinely believe it is overdone. I have had Tarangam in one since the stock was at 15. I think he is excellent, a great manager, and I'm a buyer of ELF. All right, I suddenly feel good about Tyson. I can't believe it for the first time in ages. I think the bad news is baked in at this point, and the company might finally be able to start regularly beating the estimates again. I think that this stock might actually be a buy right here. Much more about it, including my exclusive to Schneider. With the company becoming the first major carrier to achieve 1 million zero emission miles, I'm learning more about the company's ESG goals and the future of electric trucking with the CEO. Then GM Cinderella Cruise has found itself struggling too well. Uh, Cruise? So what does this mean for the future of autonomous vehicles? I'm going to survey the space and all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. After spending more than a year and a half lost in the wilderness, what's it going to take to turn the freight market around? Boy, I remember what it was doing. So terrific. Now, we've been hearing there could soon be a bottom freight, but maybe we're not quite there yet. A couple weeks ago, we got results from Schneider National. That's a transportation logistics company. And the numbers were not great. OK, and that's thanks to weaker pricing, higher fuel costs. It hurt the whole industry. It did send the uh, it sent the stock to a 52 low. Now, uh, what is it going to, to take? Is it the last bad quarter? That's what I'm thinking. What if Schneider can win some extra business now that it started rolling out a large-scale battery-operated fleet of electric trucks? That's what I know. And they actually bought one with them to the New York Stock Exchange today. Let's check in with Mark Work. He's the president and CEO of Schneider National to get a better read on the situation. Mr. Work, welcome to Mad Money. Thanks for having me, Jim. So, if I'm a company and I'm all trying to figure out how to get my emissions down, how to become carbon neutral in 2030, 2040, I know I need my whole scope to work. What is Schneider doing to make it so I should switch to Schneider to get it so I can get to my goal? Well, we're here today celebrating a million miles since really June of our zero emission battery electric vehicles from Freightliner, eCascadia. So that's part of the answer. We also think part of the answer is converting from over the road to intermodal, which reduces emissions by another 70 percent. So the combination of battery electric trucks, intermodal is a very, very powerful combination to lower overall emissions. Okay, so let's talk about uh, I'm a truck driver. Okay, now there was a period not that long ago we couldn't find enough truck drivers. It looks like things have gotten more in balance. Why would I want to drive for Schneider if I have to wait if I every 200 miles I got to fill up if I can go, say, 800 miles with the other guys? Well, the base case and the use case for a battery electric really is local operations. Our charging is at our facility. Uh, But I tell you, the feedback on battery electric from the driver community is through the roof. Tell me, because I'd like to believe. It's it's quiet. It handles terrific, has great acceleration because there's not a lot of energy loss like you see in a diesel all the way to the tires. The, The motors are right on the wheels. And so it's a very responsive truck, a very easy to drive in. Uh, drivers tell me once they get there, they don't really want to go back to diesel. So, but it's a, really? it's a local operation. It's not an over the road where we're going to go across country with a battery electric. Will you also consider for local operations hydrogen? 
We are. We're testing. The infrastructure is al already challenging right. in battery electric. It's even more so in hydrogen. But we think that is the answer for longer length of haul and something that we could be a broader application than even battery electric. But we have some development to do there as the industry and certainly infrastructure is at the front of that. Absolutely. Now, you did mention intermodal. I think that this route that you have from Mexico is maybe going to be the big route since we started reshoring for the next decade or even two. Tell me about how you got that. That's a great contract. Jim, I, I think that is one of the best uh, growth opportunities we have as a company. It's underrepresented on over the road, from over the road to right. intermodal conversion because lack of reliability. The CPKC have done a single rail service now all right. the way. That's the old Canadian to the Midwest, Pacific, Kansas yeah, City it's, Southern. It's uh, it's fantastic. It's delivering virtually 100% on time at truck-like transit, and for the first time, we have something really reliable coming out of Mexico. So. And now, you're right, nearshoring is on trend and we expect more of it. Tell people what's in those trucks because, you know, people, they think that we, we make cars in Mexico, but there's a lot of things that we make in Mexico. We do, we do. Automotive parts, number one, right. is a, one of the largest commodities that cross the border. But uh, it's a heavy manufacturing base. There's a lot of southbound flow, but even more so northbound flow, and it's a broad set of categories. So it's, it's not just finished vehicles, it's all the componentry parts as well. Now, we uh, recommended and made a, lo a lot of money for people, frankly, on the, uh, on XPO, when they spun off the logistics business. Now, I don't expect you to do that 25% of business logistics, but I like the logistics business. How is that going for you? Well, what we like about it is it allows us to extend our reach and share a wallet with a customer without having to always have our truck and our driver right. there. And so if you can bring technology and you can bring reach, you can grow your business and, and really solve problems for customers at a broader basis. So logistics, Less capital intensive, less people intensive for us, and uh, a great growth portfolio for us. All right. Now, I, I, a lot of people see the freight prices. Now, I know you're a big believer. you got to be careful about spot because yeah. contract is a better indi indication, but it's just not as visible. Okay, I get that. But you made a major commitment with this M&M. So you obviously must believe we're somewhat near a trough? We do. We're dealing with the backside of all the excess of right. the capacity build, the inventory build. I think we're largely through customers getting their inventories right. So I think that's a good sign that we're going to start to get into this replenishment cycle, which we've been lacking, quite honestly, for the last several quarters. But uh, dedicated contract services where we're not playing in the spot market, but deep contracts with customer repetitive lanes, exactly what we bought with m and is, is more of our future in truck. Can you give me a uh the name of a client or two that wants to get to that lower emissions that chose you versus anybody else? Well, you think about, it's really a Fortune 200 and above who've okay. made goals outside, yeah. particularly Scope 3, which is transportation, right. is a big part of their footprint. So think of leading retailers, think of leading consumer product companies, think of leading food and beverage. Uh, so folks like PepsiCo, folks like Procter & Gamble, uh, folks like Honda are all really focused on how do I lower my So they rate. read this that you did a million miles. They they make some calls and they recognize, you know, we should. It's not all vanilla. There are different flavors. Schneider's Absolutely. the one we should go with because they're committed. Yeah. We, and we have the solution. We have the first million mile fleet really for the okay. E-Cascadia Freightliner. And we've learned how to operate it, and which is a big one. It's a three and a half year process for us. Uh, with the infrastructure and the charging being the most difficult. And that's not all solved yet. Public and private have to come together to improve the infrastructure. Okay, one last question. Should I be thinking now not of, um, let's say, 
a football team and more of a trucking company. Because <laughs> you are located in the hallowed Green Bay, Wisconsin. What's it like to be located there? Title Town, USA. It's, uh, it's an amazing thing to think we can have 78,000 people in the stands for a 200,000 person community. And so it is really a community team. And it's really a special experience. If I go there, can I park in your lawn? You can. Uh, fair enough. I need to get my taxes paid, too. <laughs> okay. That's Mark Work, the president of Schneider National SNDR. Scope three matters to these big, big customers. Everybody's back after the break. Thank you. Appreciate it. Coming up, pop open those umbrellas and tee up your toughest questions. Kramer takes on all comers in the lightning round. Next. Over the lightning round. I'm going to start with Mike in New Jersey. Mike, what's going on, Jim? Mike, what's up? Not much. Um, I was going to ask you about Bill stock because it's been having a lot of like fake news lately, and the, the stock price is way down, especially from all-time high. And recently, it's down up almost fifty percent. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on it. What was the stock? I'm sorry, I missed it there. Bill. Bill oh, Tom? Bill. No, no I think that it's by. I, 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 Look, these are really nice people, so you have to be really careful. But I, I, I think the service is overpriced versus what you can get from others. And I just think that, therefore, it's not one that I want to recommend. I don't want you in the stock. Let's go to Joey in North Carolina. Joey. Hey, Jim. First time caller, long time listener and club member. The Excellent. stock I'm calling to you about today, uh, I bought back in February of 22. I'm wondering if I should add more. Uh, what should I do about Ford? I want to see this quarter. Remember, when they just had this real nasty labor negotiations, and there are issues involving batteries and issues involving warranties. And I want to see the quarter because, as I said, it is a wait-and-see situation. I need to go to Andrew in Washington. Andrew. Hi, Jim. How are you? I am good. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. My question for you is, what are your thoughts on Grab Holdings Limited? Yeah, my daughter's over there in Singapore, and I was, I was thinking maybe it's time to pull the trigger, but then I realized, no, the company's losing too much money. We're going to take a hard pass on don't buy, don't buy. Grab. Let's go to Rick and Marilyn. Rick. Hey, Jim. How you doing? I'm doing good, Rick. How about you? Good. I just wanted to know what your feelings are on uh, CleanSpark, CLSK. Look, if you like Bitcoin, buy Bitcoin. That has always been my view. And for a while, I liked it. And, you know, I decided, well, you know what? That money's been made. But I was I was premature before. When you make a lot of money, let's not look back. Let's go to John in Texas. John. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Booyah, my friend. What's happening? Oh, not much, sir. I'm calling about a company here in Texas. Their numbers look extremely solid across the board. In addition, they've lowered debt while buying back shares and aggressively expanding their footprint. However, the stock is down 30% from its high earlier and seems undervalued. What are your thoughts on ASO? Is this, people disregard this as a, as a gun stock. I mean, no matter what they do, but I'm going to agree with you that the stock is just too low. I can't recommend selling a stock at six times earnings. That's just not what I do. Let's go to David in Ohio. David. Hey, what's up, my friend? Who are you? you? What's going on? Hey, so I'm in Columbus, Ohio, and I need your okay. help. Sure. Uh, Whatever, man. Yeah, so Intel is now in our backyard. They are yes, investing they are. $2 billion. Yeah, they're investing $2 billion. 
in uh, chip manufacturing. And as a result, I've been stacking and I've been putting so much Intel into my portfolio. All right. But I'm also thinking about ARM. I'm also thinking about uh, NVIDIA. My okay. concern. Uh, my well, concern, I don't want you to own all three. Now, NVIDIA just reported in the quarter looked fine. Intel is doing incredibly well. I'm still going to have to pay to sell that one. And ARM, I think, is good, but it's also had a very big run. You've got three stocks that have a very big run. Why don't you wait for a pullback before you do anything? But I think Intel's okay. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up, is driverless tech cruising for a bruising? A major self-driving player has hit the rumble strips. Kramer takes the wheel next. I have a fondness for self-driving cars. Humans make serious, often deadly mistakes when they're behind the wheel. And I have to believe that machines can ultimately do it better. A machine can't have three beers and drive under the influence. They don't fall asleep at the wheel because they're too tired. In fact, if we had the technology to do self-driving cars from day one, I doubt we'd ever have people driving cars except in extraordinary circumstances. The very idea would seem just too dangerous. That's why I was so eager to ride in a car powered by Waymo. That's Google's self-driving platform a few years ago. It was a breeze. It's why I was thrilled to ride in the backseat of a cruise with the brilliant Kyle Vogt, then the CEO of GM's self-driving subsidiary. As we wound through the twisted streets of San Francisco not that long ago, we talked without even paying any attention to the car we were in. Kyle traced out a vision for everything from commuter buses that would drive on their own to ride hailing as a potentially big business for GM. This week in Kyle Vogt quit. Not long after San Francisco pulled Cruz's robo-taxi permits, stopping its 400-car experiment because the company's vehicles were involved in a series of accidents. That led to a similar hiatus for Cruz trials in Austin, Phoenix, and Houston. I don't know whether he's wistful or angry or just plain disappointed, or maybe all three. But when Vogt spoke to the Wall Street Journal, he emphasized something that he previously stressed to me. These self-driving cars are materially safer than vehicles driven by humans. He talked about how a car, when I was with him, had been run over the other day by a human driver. And it barely made the papers. That's a considered to be an unremarkable dog bite man story. But if it had been a self-driving car, it would have been all over the news for days. These autonomous vehicles are being held to a ridiculously high standard because people don't seem to trust machines to do something more important. Self-driving cars may only be safer, but the public doesn't seem to be willing to accept that yet. Now, it's not clear that the current version of the cruise can carry the torch. A brutal comeuppance, given that GM bought cruise for a billion dollars, spent several billion dollars to get it off the ground. Now the company's on pace to lose $2 billion on its investment this year. Who knows how much this setback could ultimately cost GM, which had said that ride-sharing could be a $50 billion business for the company by 2030. Got to wonder how much money they have to lose just to get there, though. So what do we do? I know that Elon Musk remains a big believer in self-driving, and I'm sure Tesla will have it entered. Waymo already has plenty of autonomous ride-sharing vehicles going in San Francisco, Metro Phoenix, and Scottsdale, Arizona. Plus, they're ramping up in Austin and Los Angeles. Waymo, though, doesn't build cars. It just makes the self-driving technology so it's much lower production costs than GM's cruise. In the meantime, you can always be like Ford, which has hands-free driving options for high-speed highway driving. Hey, that's a huge total addressable market. and It doesn't require getting the public on board with something that seems that scary. Now, I am rooting for GM to get Cruise back online. But right now, I don't know if they have the horses, unless they're willing to spend a huge amount of money, something that Wall Street may no longer be able to tolerate, even as, alas, they are indeed safer than cars driven by humankind. 
I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise try to find it just for you right here at Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you next time. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Disclaimer. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 